yet be so meek and humble. Who could allow the hands that created the universe to also be nailed into a wooden cross? Who could choose patience despite deserving immediate and complete obedience? Who could be blameless and without fault but still endure the judgment others deserve? Nobody but Jesus. Nobody but Jesus. Nobody. Who will love us like him? Who will be with us when all others have left? Who comforts us in suffering? Who is our peace in the midst of anxiety? Who reassures me when my mind is drowning in doubt? Who accepts me as I am with no strings attached? Who else would die for me while I was sinking in sin? Who else can turn the grave into Easter morning? Nobody 
Nobody. 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 Nobody but Jesus. pray that you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. No matter what you're facing in life, that you realize that a lot of times we pat each other on the back and tell each other that, hey, I'll pray for you and that you love each other, but a lot of times just a cliche, we think, well, that's cute, that's just a saying. We find out whenever you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, it's more than a cliche. It's more than just a quaint saying. And that Jesus is all you need. He's everything. He's everything in your life. And when you stop living for this life and start living for the next, you realize that life is more than this. Life is more than uh, just a short 70 to 90 years because we blink and it flies by and we realize, where did life go? And this is all this is about is getting ready for the next life. As you open your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 1, the Bible simply states here, we'll just read the first few verses, Paul just trying to simplify the gospel. He's telling this church that he had started, that he loved very much, that was struggling. Matter of fact, this church had kind of gotten the cart ahead of the horse. Their priorities were out of whack. Things weren't going smoothly. And folks, a lot of times that's the way our lives are. Things, our cart gets ahead of the horse. Our priorities get out of whack. We, re- we forget what it's all about, what church is all about, what our worship service is all about. That's nobody but Jesus. And life can be that way. When you boil it down, it's nobody but Jesus. And he says here in this particular passage, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you, save or accept Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Father, may your word be magnified and uplifted. Father, may it be about you, totally about you, nobody but Jesus. In your precious name we pray, amen. So many times uh, we forget that that's what life and church is all about. That, that just to wrap it up in a nutshell, to wrap it up and, and, um, isn't it easy to get distracted? I mean, we've, we've had a busy week. Uh, Karen, she had to go to Little Rock for some training and different things. And oh, the whole time, uh, with, and, and Caleb's doing his thing, Allie's doing his thing, and, and people are raising families, uh, uh, we got a, it's pretty cool, uh, a chance to, uh, babysit for Brandy and Jared and Presley and Paige. They're so little. I've never had any 
little ones that little. And uh, that was cool to get to to help them out for a little while. And, um, you know, and they're, they're so little. And, of course, Karen's got one of them right now. How fast do they grow up? Just boom! And our babies are toddlers, and our toddlers are grade school, and the grade school's high school, and then they're graduated college. And we didn't even blink. And no more blinking, okay? <laughs> because life flies by, and we, we realize, and then... Throughout all of that, throughout all of that, through raising our kids and our grandkids, life falls apart. Problems happen. And sometimes we'll say, well, I'm praying for you, but do we really stop and pray? Do we really, we say, well, these, uh, you know, all you need to do is just pray about it. You know, and we got all these quaint saying, but how do you plug it in? How do you plug it in where Jesus is all you need? How do you make this real? Folks, what's the difference between coming to church and hearing the preacher say a few uh, three points in a poem, and then can you use any of that? Can you make it real? Does the Is the Bible, is God's Word, is Christianity real in your life? Does it really matter to say, all you need is Jesus? Nobody but Jesus, that's all you need. And then we go home and we never plug Him into our life. And so I, I hope and pray that you'll see this morning that it's, there's more to it. The world doesn't understand this. There's a next verse, Galatians 6.14. If you want to check this out. What the world doesn't get this. Because the world, the whole world is geared to live in this life. Okay, is and it says here, and again, Paul, but God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord, by whom the world. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna just look at this. I'm gonna make this real to us. The word crucified in Paul's day meant dead, death, or dying. And so if we change that to what he was thinking, it says, look at here, by whom the world is dead unto me and I unto the world. Which means this, that, I mean, there's, I mean, we've got to live in this world. We've got to be a, a, a live here. As a matter of fact, God doesn't call us to be hermits. As a matter of fact, He said, go. I mean, he said, let your light shine before a cave. No, he said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. That just means how you conduct yourself, how you live. Folks, do you realize that in the next two weeks, we're either going to keep holding on to the freedom we have. I was reading an article this week. There were 70 prominent Christian university leaders that wrote our Congress. And the letter stated this, if the Supreme Court endorses same-sex marriage, our country will cease to be the country that you grew up in. It will drastically change. If we hang on to traditional marriage, which is biblical marriage, if we hang on to that, it'll be by needle and thread and by the grace of God, of course. 
and we'll hang on to that. But if it changed, and what they were writing is, can we be protected? Because all of these Christian colleges and seminaries and universities and Christian public schools would then be open to providing housing and benefits and and all of this. So all of this, everything, matter of fact, our Christian nation will basically, it's almost all gone, but then it would be. And completely under attack. But that's why Paul said, now I'm going to be a light. I'm going to be a Daniel. Even if everything's falling apart and Babylon comes in and takes us all away and we have no more freedoms left, you can still stand for the Lord. Daniel did. There's lots of people in the Bible who stood for the Lord even by being surrounded by a, a government that was no God, atheistic government or even a pagan government or ever how you wanted to describe it. But you can be. And so Paul said, for me to live is Christ and I should glory in Jesus. And he goes on to say, as you look at this, that we shouldn't be mixed up with the world, and the Bible says in another place, it says in James 4, and it's not in our outline, James 4, it says that the world is not our friend. Whosoever be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. Turn now to 2 Corinthians four fifteen. When you feel uh, Jesus is all you need, when you feel like giving up, when you feel like giving up, Jesus is all you need. He's basically trying, again, the church at Corinth, trying to give them some encouragement. And he says this, For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. For which cause we faint not. And that means we don't give up. And it really it means in another translation, we don't lose heart. But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh with us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary. But the things which are not seen are eternal. Now, I just want to, before we go in the Bible, didn't have any chapters and verses in it. Whenever Paul wrote it down, it's just one long letter. Before we go to the next verse, which is in chapter 5, just talk for a minute. What is this saying? What is this saying to you? Sometimes I feel like giving up. And what that means is, is my walk with Christ worth it? Because why? You're, if you really live for Jesus, now you can be uh, a servant of, excuse me, you can be a Christian. Now I gotta back that one up too. You can be saved and know Jesus Christ as your Savior. But if you are a Christian, that means that I'm publicly going to live for Jesus. Your lifestyle's gonna conflict with the world. You're not going to talk like other people talk. You're not going to do what other people do. You're not going to, you're not going to act the way other people act. Matter of fact, people will, if you really live for Jesus, if you really live for Jesus, people will get under conviction when you walk in the room. And they'll cover it up by doing this. They will make fun of you. 
They'll mock, well, here comes Mr. Goody Two-Shoes. Well, here comes somebody that thinks of drinking is a sin. Well, here comes somebody who, man, that, I heard, I heard, I remember 14 years ago, they said a cuss word. You know, and you're trying to, not, you see, none of us, you're trying to live for the Lord, but you feel like giving up whenever the world attacks you. And then you're trying to live for the Lord, the world's attacking you. And then you, then all of a sudden, uh, 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 you don't have enough money to pay a bill. All of a sudden, the car breaks down. All of a sudden, your health goes crazy. All of a sudden, this falls apart and you wonder, Lord, where are you? Why aren't you with me? You feel like giving up. And so many times, people don't understand that. People don't understand you trying to live for the Lord. Sometimes it's easy to want to want to give up and not follow through, not be a Christian, not to do what God wants us to do. Sometimes we feel like giving up. Well, also another one. Let's just head on to. I'm still in chapter five, verse one. For we know. That if our earthly house of this tabernacle, that's talking about your body, were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Verse 2 says, For in this we groan and earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. When you feel like giving up. Before I move on to the next part, which is about forgiveness and a fresh start. Maybe there's somebody in here and you're, you're sitting on the fence with your Christianity. You're sitting on the fence with following Jesus. You're saved, but you're not living for Him. You're not living for Him because of... You're afraid to step out there and do something you've never done. You're afraid to try something you've never tried. And and just to be a little different, I mean, the world can make fun of you, make fun of the way you talk, but maybe you're an undercover Christian. And every now and then you let a few cuss words fly. Every now and then you have a drink. Every now and then, uh, if you're single, you may have sex outside of marriage. And you're lying, basically what you do is you just, I want enough Jesus to make me feel good, but I don't want to stick out in the world. I want to be like everybody else. I want to have some fun. In other words, you're saved, but you're not living for the Lord. You're saved, but you're not living for Jesus. And it's easy because if, if, if ever you take a chance and try to actually live for Him, you're going to come under attack by the world because your lifestyle will be that different than the world. Well, maybe you've... Uh, okay, let's just, let's just put it down here where we live. So maybe you have been doing this. Maybe you have been living this away, that away, ever what way, I don't know. Maybe you're looking for a fresh start this morning.
Maybe you're looking for a brand new beginning. There's this lady in John 8. We're fixing ahead there for a fresh start and a brand new beginning. It's a great story, and many of you are familiar with this story. And it's an awesome story because it contrasts the way things used to be to the way things that Jesus intended them to be even today. How do you look at sinners? Man, I, I preach this all the time at Promised Land. I won't ever sinner. I mean, I want ever alcoholic, drug addict, homosexual to come to Promised Land Church because I'll preach to them. I'll tell them about Jesus. I don't care what sin you've done. I don't care how bad your life is. I don't care what you're facing in life. Just come on. We've got a place for you. Now, some people have a problem with that. Some people have a problem with getting the worst sinners to sit on the pew with them. But Jesus said, bring them on. Jesus said, bring them on. And matter of fact, uh, he, this woman, I imagine the man was in the crowd, but he didn't step forward. They decided to make up because women were subservient and looked to second-class citizens, especially in Jesus' day. And, uh, of course, they brought this woman to her. We caught this woman in the very act of adultery. Well, Last time I checked for adultery to happen, it takes two people. (laughs) Where'd he go? I don't know. That's another sermon and another story. But they brought her and they, and they brought her to Jesus. And the great thing about this story is, is that they didn't realize they were bringing a broken woman to the person who could fix the problem. They were trying to trap Jesus whenever he said they were going to try to use it for a loss. Jesus used it for a victory. They were going to try to use it to bring a hammer down, and he used it to bring the anvil of justice, and he gave forgiveness, and he gave a fresh, clean start to this woman. And they all picked up stones, and they said, we're going to, the law says to kill her, and these stones were softball-sized stones, and we're going to take her out. That's what the law says. And he was trying to, they were trying to trap him. And he said, well... Whoever's without sin, and what that means is, he was trying to get them to stop looking, and nobody's without sin. The woman wasn't without sin. And, 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 and nobody in the crowd except for Jesus was without sin. And they all had these rocks in their hands. He said, well, whoever's without sin, let them cast the first stone. And all of a sudden, the stones started dropping. Thud, 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 thud. Jesus is writing something on the ground. And the Bible says in John eight ten, when Jesus lifted himself up, he saw nobody but the woman. And he said unto her, Lady, where are your accusers? Is there nobody to condemn you? In verse 11, she said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her these magical words, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. The only hands that held no stones that day were his. And by the way, here's the good news. They still hold 
no stones today. Jesus is all about a fresh start, a new beginning. And I hope and pray that you will allow Him to give you a new beginning this morning. Maybe you've been caught in sin. Maybe you've been messing around with the world. If you will come to Him broken. Folks, this morning, I stand before you as a sinner, a broken man, and a broken preacher. But I've met the one who fixed my life. And I'm going to point you to him also. Let me show you a man who can. Let me tell you about my Savior who can give you total forgiveness and a fresh, clean start. Nobody but Jesus can do that. Well, lastly, when you're facing horrible news, maybe even death, the last ten years that I've been here at Promised Land, there have been several that have been diagnosed with cancer. And some people, that used to be just a... That's still horrible news. Horrible news that you realize that you're, you've are you got this, that you know you're going to have to fight. You've got... Uh, it used Sometimes getting cancer used to be a death sentence. But folks, did you realize that you and I in this room are not the only ones who face death? We're not the only ones who faced horrible news. And whenever your life, if your life is not falling apart right now, praise the Lord. <laughs> but if it ever does, people have walked that road before also. People have been there before. And we see here in this story, this famous story in John chapter 11, verse 32. And I call this these verses right here when you're facing horrible news and then I'm going to Wrap it up still in John 11, whenever you're facing the second death. There's two deaths everybody will face. And I'll face one, we're all going to die. But my Jesus has died once, so I wouldn't have to die twice. That's pretty cool. Did you hear that? My Jesus has died once, so you and I don't have to die Twice. In John eleven thirty two, the Bible says, when Mary was come where Jesus was, Mary, Jesus had three very close friends who were not of the twelve apostles. Mary and Martha, they've got a couple of famous stories in the Bible, and Lazarus, who's their brother. And that, anyway, Lazarus had had they were headed to help him, but Jesus hesitated. He allowed Lazarus to die. Now, matter of fact, if you read the whole chapter, it seems like Jesus is lollygagging around. Come on, matter of fact, Martha approached him earlier, and Mary here, and Martha's already confronted him by verse 32, and said, if you'd have been here, my brother would have lived. And then Mary's fisting to get him right here. If you'd have been here, my brother would have lived. And a lot of times we blame, seemingly blame God and we say, God, why don't you intervene in my life? Because this is horrible news. Can't you do something, Jesus? But he did that with a purpose. See, 
no matter whether you're talking about cancer, whether you're talking about a flat tire or a blown water heater or in Trey's case, a leaky roof. <laughs> no matter, and I don't know how your leaky roof's going to give glory to God, but we'll figure it out later. Okay. But no matter what you're facing in your life, if you've got a blown tire or cancer, God can take your bad news and make something good out of it. Now you would think, well, matter of fact, Mary, we'll get to it in just a second. She says, uh, well, I know he's going to live again one day. Talking about the second resurrection or the resurrection and uh, for the... For us, but she was kind of being it's seemingly a little bit silly, but he says, Listen, no matter what you're facing, it's so God, my father, can get the glory. Okay? So let's look at it real quick. Verse thirty two, Mary was coming to where Jesus was, she saw him, fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother had not died. And then in verse thirty three, we see this. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, okay, and the Jews also weeping came with her and he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Verse 34, verse 34 says this, and he said, where have you laid him? And then they said this, they said unto him, Lord, come and see. And then of course, this leads to the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. Have you really, when's the last time you wept for the Lord? Did you know He weeps when you weep? Did, have you ever thought about that, that the sorrow, the heartache, and the anguish? I've seen some people even here at Promised Land that have weeped to the point that there was no tears left. Jesus has been through everything you've been through. He has wept and cried huge tears. Verse 36, the Jews even said, Behold how He loved Him. And some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man could not have died? Jesus, therefore, again groaning in himself, he came to the grave. It was a cave, and the stone lay upon it. Jesus said, take you away the stone. Martha said, well, hang on a second. That's going to be a, that's going to be a pretty bad smell. <laughs> that's what that's saying. That's going to be a pretty bad smell if we take away the stone. Verse 40 said, uh, said I not unto thee that if you would believe, that you would see the glory of of God. And they took away the stone from the place where the dead laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. In verse 42, the word of God says this, and I knew that thou heard me always, but because of the people which stand by, <clears throat> that I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. 
The Bible says it. He cried out with a loud voice. Lazarus! I mean, can't you just feel the heavens tremble? <laughs> Whenever he cried out, and some people said if he had just said, come forth, and everybody that had ever been dead would have came out of the grave, that would have been a sight to behold. One day, Jesus is going to do that. He's going to come down and says, everybody that's been saved, come on up here! Amen? That's called the resurrection. That's called the rapture. That's called whenever Jesus comes back. And if you know Him, one day you're going to come out of the grave. Now, He came out of the grave with a, a fleshly body. But we're going to come out of the grave one day with a glorified body. And He that was dead came forth bound hand and foot. And He said, Loose Him and let Him go. Well, maybe... <clears throat> You may be talking about the, the second death. If we back up in the chapter to verse 23, when you're facing the second death, Jesus is talking to Martha here. And he said, uh, and she had already said, <clears throat> Hey, if you'd been here, my brother would have lived. In verse 23, Jesus said, Well, yeah, your brother will rise again. And Martha said, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Well, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? And folks, this is where it all comes down to. Wrap up this whole sermon. All we need is Jesus. And he asked the question, If you believe in me, though you die, you will live again. And he said, he asked her, Do you believe? And she said in verse 27, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. All you need is Jesus. As we prepare for a hymn invitation, Brother Bruce comes and our musicians get ready. Whatever the Lord's laying upon your heart this morning, all you need is Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for this opportunity that we have this morning. I thank You that Your Word tells us that the Gospel is simple. And Father, that all we need is Jesus. Nobody but Him. Maybe someone needs a fresh start and a new beginning. All we need is Jesus. Maybe life has fallen apart and we've gotten some horrible news. All we need is Jesus. Maybe we need to be saved. We've never placed our faith and trust in You. All we need is Jesus. Nobody but Jesus. Let us look to Him and look to You. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.